a raging river that looked insurmountable and unable to cross. And the people had a decision to make. Do we listen to Joshua, who was following the commands of the Lord, or do we continue to walk in the slavery and the sin that has trapped us in the desert for years? And I believe that as Christians in America, as our church goes forward, that we have to understand what takes place here, that we can't stay in the past. We can't look at the past as an opportunity and a blessing when the past hasn't been the blessing, but it's been a desert wandering wilderness. We have to move forward. And I believe as a church that we have to move forward. See, the key to this passage this morning, as we look at it, is the ark. Right? Listen to what he says. He says in verse 3, or starting verse 2, After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, and they give orders to the people. And what do they say? When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to do what? Move. We in America and Christians around the world at times are oftentimes frozen on our tracks even though the Lord is moving in and around us. You know, there's a great study. Matter of fact, I'm going to give a plug for Buddy and Casey's life group that's starting to meet today. But there's a great study called Experiencing God. And one of the things that you can begin to understand is Experiencing God talks about finding out where the Lord is moving and joining him in his work. And so what Joshua says and what the officers of the people are saying is, listen, when you see the ark of the Lord begin to move as the priests carry it, what are you supposed to do? You're going to move and you're going to follow it. Now, the reason why I say the ark is so important is because the ark represented the, basically the mercy seat of God. It is the treasure chest of blessing. The ark was a two-foot by two-foot by four-foot box. It had a gold top on it. On top of the gold top was two angels that faced outward with the wings facing inward. And in between those wings would be what we call the mercy seat of God. That was the dwelling place that God dwelt. And so what the idea of the ark is that when the ark moved, the people of God followed the leading of the Lord. And the ark is also a picture of pre-incarnate Christ. It's a picture of the delivery of God to the people of Israel. And it's the same picture we get because the ark is this idea of this old covenant. And Jesus is the idea of the new covenant that when Jesus moves, I what? Move. That when Jesus is calling me in a direction, then I have to be obedient to the direction he's called me and I follow. And so the, the, the officers, the, the, the people over, the Israelites begin to proclaim this thing that when the ark moves, you move. And here's the reality. Here's what I want you to remember. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this today. We experience a victorious life by positioning Jesus first and following him into an unknown future. Can I tell you what makes the difference between a successful or a prosperous Christian and one who doesn't prosper? It's the position of Jesus in my life. See, here's the way a lot of us want to operate, and here in reality is what happened. When, when the ark was in the midst of the people, the people kind of wandered in the desert. But when the ark takes the position of leadership in the voice of the people, in the direction of the people, when the ark takes the primary position, then the people are successful. So the difference is this. 
Every believer, every Christian possesses Jesus Christ, right? Every believer has a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you possess Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but let me tell you the difference. There is a reason why some walk in blessing and fruitfulness and some walk with no blessing and no fruitfulness, and it's the position of Jesus in your life. Do I put Jesus first and foremost, or do I let Jesus kind of sit in the co-pilot chair? The position of the ark plays a great, great story or a great message in this story for us to understand because the position of the ark represented Jesus being the head and first or the people going to the direction. Let me, let me kind of explain this just a little bit differently maybe. One of the struggles we oftentimes have is this. We don't want to go all in. Remember what I talked about? We said we want to push one chip in. So the position of Jesus isn't one of authority or headship or leadership or he's the one that's going to be over me. The position of Jesus is, Jesus, I got this. You sit back there. Let me take it. And when I need you, I'll call on you. That's possession. I have a relationship with Jesus. But his position is not primary in front of me. His position is not that I follow him. And one of the great things we can always look at is you can look throughout Scripture and say, where do you line up with this? Scripture says this, and then in my heart I go, nah. That means you got possession of Jesus, but you're not willing to give Jesus position of authority over your life. When the Bible calls you to do something, you go, nah. Right? Like, I mean, we could use this in all kinds of realms and ways and, and, and struggles. We can say, well, I don't. Jesus isn't the only way. Possession, not position. When Jesus says he is the only way, right? Another way you can oftentimes look at it is finances, right? I get it all the time. My finances are more important to me than I am being obedient to God and calling me to give and support and, 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 and help with the ministry of the church. You talk about a tithe, pastor? Yeah, Biblical. Yeah, but I don't, I don't believe that. Things have changed. Okay. That's position. When I'm not willing to obediently follow what God calls about, let me clarify. We experience a victorious life by positioning Jesus what? First. And following him into an unknown future. Listen, the future is unknown. Like, I'm not going to stand up here and be like, man, it's the end of the world. Because I'm pretty sure back in the 1300s, the dark ages and things like that. There were pastors and preachers and, and, and people like that going, oh my gosh, it's got to be the end of the world. This is the worst ever, right? And likewise, I look and I go, oh my gosh, it's just, there are, there's all kinds of crazy hate and, and vengeance and, and violence and nobody's loving. And, and man, it could be a whole lot worse. But what I can tell you is this. You and I will not experience a victorious life if we don't position Jesus first in my life. First in my marriage, first in my finances, first in my family, first in my relationship with him. And it's easy for us to identify a first because the first is always primary, right? It's the very thing that I'm going to say, this is the utmost thing I have to do. So you may be a believer and you've been a believer for a while and you were baptized as a kid in the church and you've been following Jesus, but at the same time, Jesus doesn't own everything. Jesus doesn't have a position of leadership and authority in your life. Jesus is in possession. In other words, he's in the car with you, but you're driving. 
And so listen, when we talk about this, there are three things that I believe we're going to experience today. We're going to cover these two real quick, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. I believe it's important for us to follow the Lord. Listen to what he says again one more time. He says, to move out from your positions and follow it. Why are some Christians victorious and some are not? It's because of the position of Jesus. I believe that God leads us into unknown things when he is the head. And he will lead us through unknown things when he's in the proper position. And listen, in the church and in our lives, he needs to be first and foremost. We're in uncharted waters. We're in uncharted waters in the world, in our time, in the United States, and we need the leadership of the Lord. And so listen to what he says. Then, once you move out and you follow it, then you will know which way to go. What's the biggest struggle most people have? Well, I don't know which way to go, right? Have you called on Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you said, God, whatever it takes, I will follow. Here, I, here am I, send me. Because when you make that call, when you make that statement, when you follow him in the positional authority or as the positional authority, the head, the leadership, he is the one who's going to lead you. When I follow him, then will I make known to you the way you're to go. That's a big statement. So it's an if-then clause, right? If I move and follow, then he will lead me in the direction I'm supposed to go. So there's number one, the following the Lord. But I also want you to look at this. Number two, how do I experience a victorious life? I have to follow the Lord, number one. Number two, I have to remember his holiness. Look what he says in verses four. Then you will know which way you go since you have been, never been this way before. But what's he say? Keep a what? Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Now, 2,000 cubits is about 1,000 yards, which for those of you who don't understand, that's 10 football fields, right? Like football people, right? 10 football fields. It's just over 3,000 feet, so about a half a mile. The ark is going before the people of Israel by a half a mile, and they're supposed to move, they're supposed to follow it, but they're supposed to keep their distance. And here's the thing that we have to begin to understand in the church. We have to remember the holiness of God more than anything else. I'll be honest with you, there is a callousness, there is a carelessness, and there is a I would say a pride amongst American people, amongst churches where we look and we go, yeah, God's holy, but it doesn't matter. I can do whatever the heck I want. And all throughout Scripture, when God's people operated in that way, they never, never received the blessing. They never walked in the strength and power of the Lord, but rather they walked in defeat and the enemy was easily able to strike him down. Go read the rest of Joshua. Matter of fact, I'm going to encourage you to read that because we're going to talk about the family. We're going to talk about the church and stuff. Some of that's going to be from Joshua, but I want you to think about this. When I walk remembering God's holiness, that I understand that I'm to follow him because he dearly loves me and he's passionate for me, but I have to follow him obediently. Why? Because he is holy. He is righteous. He is just, and any unholiness and unrighteousness that comes into the presence of God is going to be dealt with very firmly. That's why I believe it's important as a church that we don't walk in sin, that when people are caught in sin, that we deal with it in a loving and gracious way so we can restore people. But listen, we as individuals cannot continue to walk into a life of sin and think that God is going to bless our lives in some great way, because he won't. 
He's not going to bless sinful disobedience. Never. Never will God bless you, reward you, strengthen you, equip you, and encourage you when you were walking in disobedience to him. And so here's where we come to the part that I think we have to understand. We have to have a healthy balance of the two aspects of God's nature. His close, comforting presence that leads his people and his awesome, fearsome glory that stands true to this day. And so as you came in, you were given two cards. Card number one is this, and this is, this is for each of us individually where you're at. Card number one is we're calling you to lay things down. What do I need to lay down and give to Jesus? What do I need to acknowledge that I would say in my life has been a primary focus, something that has taken front row instead of letting Jesus lead, I've, I have tried to control things. It could be finances. It may be your family life. It may be, let's just be honest, it may be your spiritual life. There's no desire or hunger for his word. There's no desire to do what he's called you to do. And so here's what we're asking you to do, to do today. On that card, we're asking you to write those things down. We're not asking you to put your name on it or anything else. This is between you and the Lord. But here's what we are asking you to do. Today, after you've written those down, we're going to have some time of repentance and confession through songs. We're going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. I'm going to ask Buddy and Casey to come up. If you need somebody to pray with you, we're asking you to pray. But we're asking you to bring those cards to the altar and to spend some time in prayer, confessing, repenting, asking God's forgiveness, and asking you to place God first and foremost. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the picture that we see in the truth of your text right here with Joshua. That God, when you move, that we're to follow. But that moving means that we've got to move as well. We've got to walk in the direction of you. And God, I pray that we would not take lightly lightly the things that maybe we have held on so deeply. Maybe we have some unconfessed sin in our life. Maybe we've given in and we're following ideas and thoughts that the world says is okay, but you say isn't. God, we confess to you that we are people who are broken and in need of Jesus. And we want to put him first and foremost in all things in every area, in every aspect of our life that Jesus would lead so that we can experience the blessing and the victorious life that you have called us to live. God, we can't cross the river if we're walking in disobedience because the wages of the sin and the violence and torment of that river will wash us away. But God, we know that the promised land is on the other side. So, Father, would you break our hearts and help us be committed to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Over the next couple minutes, we've got a couple songs you're going to be singing. We're going to ask you to sing together as you want. If you want to pray with somebody, I'm going to be here, buddy, in case you're up here. If you specifically want to say, i got to pray about something, we're asking you to do this. But we're asking everybody, come up and lay those cards at the altar. Turn it over to the Lord. What is it that you need to give up or lay down so that Jesus can be first and foremost?
But I think it's important for us to understand the importance of the holiness of God. And maybe it's us as a church, and maybe I'm being a little bit critical of maybe the way we've been kind of lax and callous. But I also want you to understand this, that I believe that the God works through an obedient heart who says, God, whatever you got, I'm in. Whatever the hand is dealt with me or dealt to me, I'm in. You give me a full house, I'm in. You give me a hand that I can't even hardly play, but I know that you're going to be with me, that I'm in. If it costs me my life, I'm in. And God does great things through people who just say, here I am, send me. And so I want to encourage you with that, that we just, we, this whole idea of surrender, right? For 40 years, the people wandered in the wilderness because they didn't want to surrender. And a surrendered heart is exactly what the Lord uses. It's the very thing that he molds and makes into who you're supposed to be. And one of the things I would say over and over and over again is, listen, we've got voices from every direction trying to speak to you, trying to tell you the way you should go. And the only voice we should be listening to is the voice of the Spirit directing us to the truth of God's Word to lead us into an unknown future. Because we, listen, we serve a God who knows the future. And we may have an uncertain and unknown future, but we have a living God that we know who knows that future. And so here's my challenge. Here's the third thing. If we want to experience a victorious life, we have to consecrate ourselves. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. See, here's the reality. When Jesus is positionally in the headship or the leadership position and I follow him, then I put myself in the area or position of receiving the blessing. And that blessing is he wants to lead me into the promised land. He wants to lead me into a future that right now is unknown. But somewhere in between that is this river of chaos that's at flood stage and we don't know how to cross it. And he says, listen, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things among you. Here's what I believe as a church. If we want God to do amazing things among us, then number one, Jesus has to be positionally in authority. Number two, I have to have a daily, listen to me, a daily reality of God's holiness and ask him, God, show in me any impure or unclean ways, what we just sang about. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And then thirdly, I have to consecrate myself. And here's the consecration aspect. When we talk about this, I'm not talking about you making yourself holy. I'm talking about this idea of sanctifying and setting apart and devoting ourselves completely to God. That's literally what consecrate means to devote or set ourselves apart, wholly to the call of God. Here's what's crazy about this. For some, this is this idea that when I have a relationship with Jesus, that gives me a license to do whatever I want. It gives me a license to act however I want, say whatever I want, 
believe to a certain extent whatever I want when the reality is that I act or should act based upon what Scripture tells me. I should love based upon how the Bible tells me to love. That regardless of how others treat me, that I treat them with respect and dignity and love because that's the call of Jesus. That I serve others, even my own enemies. I serve them with great expectation knowing that God wants to use me in a way to show them the love of the gospel. See, here's the reality when we talk about consecrating ourselves. The gospel costs us nothing because it's the sacrifices, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it demands everything. It didn't cost me. My salvation didn't cost me. It was free. It's a gift. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is the gift that he gives me, so it doesn't cost me anything, but at the same time, it demands everything in my life. Why? Because I'm no longer mine. I was bought at a price. I've been purchased and redeemed. And the life I live, I no longer live for me, but I live in obedience to the Son of God because He's the one who paid the price for me. So when we talk about this key to a victorious life, yes, we got to follow because Jesus needs to be in positional authority. Yes, we've got to acknowledge the holiness of God, but I also have to consecrate myself. I have to commit myself all in, to say, God, I'm not going to chase after other idols, other things, other priorities, but you are first and foremost in everything that I do. See, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. If Jesus doesn't own every bit of your life, then he doesn't really own any of it. He's, you're in possession of Jesus, but you're not in a position that allows Jesus to lead. And going all in says, Jesus, I'm giving you the position of leadership and headship and authority in my life. See, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know the one that holds the future. Matter of fact, there's this old hymn that says that, and life is worth the living just because he what? Lives. I don't know the future. I don't know the future of anybody. I don't know my future. I don't know my kid's future. I don't know your future. I don't know what it's going to look like in, in America for the future of the church but I know the God who holds the future. And I have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And as a result, in a position of authority and leadership over my life, I can follow him and I can consecrate myself and I say, Jesus, I am all in. Here I am, send me. See, for some reason, and I don't know why, we got this idea that the victorious life is all about money, riches, fame, acknowledgement from the world. When Jesus says, you want to experience life and life more abundantly, you experience the life with me. And that may actually cost you your life. But please hear me out. When you understand the reality of eternity, either eternity with God or eternity apart from God, then you begin to understand the abundant life that Jesus has. And he says, it may cost you your life, but it may save somebody else's. We live in a world that is lost that is hurting, that is looking for direction, that is an emotional wreck, that is a mental problem, that is a violent nature, that has consistently said, not going to deal with God, but we think that there is a better way forward when we operate and we run things ourselves. The key to a victorious life is consecrating ourselves. And here's the great news. Listen to what happens. 
So he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And it says in verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. If you remember anything about the promises that God made was his covenantal promise to Moses that he would be with them, that he would strengthen them, he would uphold them. He does the same to Joshua and here's here's the promise, God's covenant promise through Jesus Christ, doesn't change as a result of 2,000 years. The promise he made to Moses and to Joshua and to the people in the New Testament is the same promise he makes to you, that I am with you wherever you go, that I will lead you by my righteous right hand, that I will strengthen you and equip you and uphold you so that you can go through every storm and you can walk through every river and every difficulty. And here's the great news about it right? As we continue on in Joshua chapter 3, as we get to verse 16, 14, 15, 16, it says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Keep in mind, they're keeping their distance, but they're following. It's going out, so it goes ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark, Jesus in positional authority up front, as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the the vicinity of Zarethan. And while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Here's the picture that we have to begin to understand. Between you and me is a river raging full of sin and torment and evil and chaos. And Jesus steps into that sin and he stops the flow so that you and I can cross from a desert wasteland, an impossible crossing into the promised land of the future and a hope with Jesus Christ. The key to a victorious life is that I consecrate myself for the work of the Lord because the work of the Lord has already been done. I just have to commit myself to it. That's the call of the gospel. That you lay down your nets and you come and you follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. That's the promise, the hope, the victorious life that a raging river of sin cannot keep me apart from the promise that Jesus has for me. A life filled with abundance and blessing when he is in positional authority as head and leader in my family, in my life, in my work, in my ministry, in my finances, in every aspect of my life. And he calls us to consecrate ourselves. This is a beautiful picture of salvation, that Jesus stops the raging waters of sin and shame, and we cross from death to life through the blood of Jesus on the cross. See, our sins and God's wrath lay between him and us, but the Lord Jesus Christ has prepared a way for us through the barrier if we only believe in him. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. That card that we gave you, the second card, that says you're picking it up, 
We're asking you to commit. What is it the Lord is calling you to do? Maybe it's you got to spend time in his word daily. Listen, we got our, our, our reading plan. We can give you that direction. Maybe it's you need to spend time. Two minutes a day, three minutes a day. Heck, go onto our Facebook page and you at least get a Bible verse of encouragement every morning at eight o'clock. But we need to be people who are going to understand the holiness of God and we're going to dig into his word. And we're going to spend some time in prayer and then we're going to stand with open hands and say, here I am, Lord. Send me whatever it is, wherever you're calling me to go. The battle belongs to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves. And so here's what we're doing. We're not asking you to bring those up. We're asking you to write down on those cards what it is the Lord is calling you to do. It may be a next step. It may be salvation. Maybe the Lord is calling you today to, to, to publicly acknowledge, I need Jesus in my life. I need to make him the head, the leader. He is my savior. He is my king. And I want to acknowledge that before people. And I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to follow a believer's baptism. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe your next step is you got to commit to, to growing and consecrating, sanctifying yourself for the work of the Lord. Maybe the next step is you need to commit to say, hey, I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to be a part of this church. I want to grow. I want to, I want to see our, our city and our nation and our country and, 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 and our world reach with the gospel. Maybe there's a service that you need to connect to. I want to help in children's ministry. Or I want to help in these areas. But my question is this. Write down what the Lord is calling you today to do. It may not even be limited to that. Maybe the Lord's calling you to ministry and you've been fighting it. Maybe he's calling you to lead a class or a Bible study or a life group and you've been rejecting that and saying, no, no, not me, not me, Lord. Somebody else has got to do that. Father, we thank you for the promise and the hope that we see here. That God, when when you are in positional headship and authority in our lives and we follow and we understand and acknowledge and remember your holiness. And God, we consecrate ourselves, committing ourselves to you. God, really in the reality of just being Isaiah and saying, here am I, send me. That you are the one who does the work. And God, I think of the story in the Old Testament here when we read this of the promise and the hope and the future. Yeah, there were difficult times ahead, but God, in every obedient step that the people of Israel took, your blessing poured out upon them. And God, I pray that that would be our heart's cry here in the church, that we would walk in obedience daily, individually as well as corporately, and that as we walk in obedience, Lord, your blessing would be poured out. God, that we would see more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that there are those who are hurt. They're emotionally, mentally, and spiritually wrecked because of what's going on in our world, and they're looking for hope. God, use us in a great way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.